This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Chatterbox Showcase, a collection of three original short plays. Baby Boy by Julia Hinson. Good morning. Hmm. How long have you been up? A while. Well, I slept like a baby. That's sort of funny, since I am the one carrying one around in my stomach. Yeah, huh. Well, you'll get some sleep once the baby comes. I don't think it's ever coming. What do you mean by that? Um, I'm overdue. You are? No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you aren't. You're not due until, I'm like, five uh, months overdue. Like August or... What did you say? Five months. You're joking. Uh, I wish I were. I wish that August were the truth. But... but that's impossible. That's what the doctors say, too. The doctors? What? Pam, why don't I know about this? I lied to you about how far along I was. I was, uh, I don't know. I lied to everyone. Why? Uh, I didn't think I was pregnant at first. And I wanted to wait until I was sure. And when I figured it out, I was pregnant. So much time had passed. I don't know. I was embarrassed. Or afraid you might be mad. I don't know what. The doctors caught on pretty quick. But you, you, you really don't pay attention to... You really don't notice anything, really. I I notice things. I I can't believe this. Yeah, I know. This is terrible. You're telling me. Isn't it dangerous? Are, are you okay? What, what do the doctors think? Well, they're worried, of course, but all my vitals are okay. And the baby looks healthy. Big, but healthy. A strong heart. So they say, just wait. So we wait? Yep. Uh, also, I'm not really sleeping, like, at all. What, last night? Last night, the night before, the night before that, the night before, like, every night for the last year. Oh, uh, you must be exhausted. A few nights without sleep, well, I remember in grad school when I... David, I'm serious. What? I haven't slept in a year. What? What? What do you mean you haven't slept? I have not slept. Are you kidding with me today? I mean, is this all a joke? David... I haven't slept in a whole year. Think about it. Uh, A whole year? Think about it. You always fall asleep on the couch, and I wake you up and put you to bed. I'm always up with coffee when you wake up. Do you ever see me sleep? I... Do you ever see me so much as take a nap? I... You must be exhausted. Not really. I'm just so fucking bored. So the birth will be totally standard now, but you should know this is a pregnancy for the history books. No one's ever heard of a 19-month pregnancy. Yeah, I get the feeling. Shouldn't you be helping her? Is she okay? Oh, she's fine. Labor hurts like hell, young man. Be thankful. Thank your Lord God and Jesus up above that you're not the one giving birth. I will. I do. Oh, look. We're crowning here. Holy shit. How does he look? He's got a lot of hair. Keep pushing. We've almost got an arm. Oh, oh, a very long arm. 
Is he okay? You've got one big baby boy coming. The biggest I've ever seen. Okay, now. Push. Is he out? Is he out yet? Huh? Is he breathing? I don't hear crying. I don't see him. I've... Uh, Damn it, is he okay? Holy shit. Hello? Hi. It's a nice house. Is she okay? Well, she's asleep. I could barely get her out of the wheelchair. She was snoring all over the place. Thanks for the clothes. Oh, yeah, no problem. So, uh, welcome home. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, so... She's really tired, huh? Yeah, she didn't sleep for a year, I guess. Yeah, I know. You know? Yeah, well, I was kind of there, you know? Right, because you were in her, um, in the, uh, you know. Right. So, how... What? I mean, you're not what I, what we, what we expected. How, how old are you? Oh, that, right. They said you might ask. They? I'm 16. 16? Years old. Oh. Yeah, so... Wow, um, are you ours? Oh, yeah, Dad, you're my dad, all right. A little younger than how I know you, but yeah, Dad. Oh. I'm from another dimension. Oh, another dimension. Right. I'm your son from a parallel universe where your life is slightly different and apparently things move faster. There, I mean. Oh. So, yeah, um... Oh, and I've come to deliver a message. That's why I'm here. That's why I used that porthole. Oh. Wow. Yeah, so... Wow, huh. Well, what is it? What's what? The message. You've come to deliver me a message. Oh, God, no, I'm sorry. Not you. Uh, not you. In fact, I'm, uh... What, what day is today? I'm... I'm late. I, I gotta... God, I gotta go. What? Yeah, I'm running late. Well, what do I tell Pam? Oh, right, that, uh, Pam, Mom, that's, a, uh, that's, a. Uh, listen, man, I don't mean to be rude or anything, but you're not very good to her. What? I really don't want to hurt your feelings. I mean, we've kind of bonded here, I think. You let me borrow your clothes and all, but I gotta tell you, you should be better to her. Pam, Mom, she cares about you a lot, always thinking about you Worried about you, you know? I mean, it just seems like sometimes you don't... I don't know. You don't care much. I, you don't pay attention to her. You don't appreciate all she does for you. I mean, she's great. You know? She's funny. She's really funny. I know. I mean, I was there, in there, you know? We spent a lot of long nights, her and I. She wants you back. She misses you. You're, you're lucky, man. I, uh, I guess I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't sure what I wanted. If I even wanted kids when she, when you, when we got, I still don't know. And I just sort of turned off, checked out. <laughs> it's funny, the whole pregnancy, she couldn't sleep and I was totally sleeping the whole time. <laughs> I even started hoping I'd... I started hoping that, no offense, I was hoping she would never give birth and somehow magically everything would go back to what it was and I could, I could have her back, have, have my Pam back. Huh. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, you seem pretty awake now, and you kind of, kind of got your wish, because I got to, well, I'm, so go, wake her up, start over, I'll get out of your hair. But you're, you're our, what about you? Will we see you again? Oh, yeah, someday. Look, I got a jet. Oh, okay, well, thanks for the, uh, you know, advice. Good luck. Thanks, you too. See ya. Yeah. Pam. Hmm? Pam, wake up. What? David. Hey. Hey, you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You look different. Where's the baby? He's fine. He's just fine. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Hi. It's good to see you. I feel like I haven't seen you in years. You haven't. The Flower Tender by Cheryl Wolfe. The old woman ran her fingers over the white flower petals. Soft like a baby's bottom, though jasmine smells much better. She chuckled gently to herself, <laughs> wiping the sweat off her brow. Then she put on her gardening gloves, the white ones with the little purple flowers, and tossed an old tea towel onto the ground. Leaning onto the cart, she carefully worked her fragile body down to kneel onto the towel. Ooh. With patient hands, she opened a hole in the ground the custodian had thoughtfully turned over in preparation for her visit. Such a thoughtful person, she thought to herself. She took the jasmine plant out of the cart and removed it from its pot. Leaning over to place it into the ground, she took a deep breath and exhaled contentedly. <sighs> Smells like life. Good. Her sure fingers pressed the soil down around the stem, securing the tender flower so it wouldn't fall. You'll be safe here, little one. Grow big and tall and wide. Bless this place. She picked up her daisy watering can and poured soft rain onto the flower, which gratefully drank in the gift. Quietly she worked for an hour or more, planting the many specially chosen flowers she'd carried with her on her cart. When she was done, the old woman sat quietly in the sunlight, watching the light breeze blow through the garden, enjoying the moment she'd made. She placed her hand hoe into the last of the empty pots as she replaced them along with the watering can onto the cart. Then, leaning on the stone, she pulled herself up onto her feet. Ooh. She regarded her work with a critical eye. She smiled. Perfect, she decided. She looked around her. I hope you like the flowers, Bessie, dearest. They're wonderful, Mommy. A and they smell so nice. What kind of flowers are they? 
Oh, jasmine mostly, and some herbs like lavender and rosemary. Sweets for the sweet. Thank you, Mommy. Anything for you, precious girl. With a sigh from deep in her soul, the old woman surveyed the wonder of so many colors covering the small space, thrilled by the many scents that floated up into the air around her. Her head spun, tears filled her eyes, so moving was the sight. Pulling off her gloves and placing them in the pot with the hand hoe, she wiped her sweaty hands on her apron. She reached into one of the pockets and fingered the item she found inside. A perfect, round, white rock she'd found in a stream a long time ago, when she was a girl. A treasure from childhood she had zealously guarded for many years. But today, she removed it from her pocket and held it up, regarding it in the sunlight. Doesn't the light give it a pretty glow? Like a pearl of sunshine, Mommy. <laughs> well... The old woman bent over and kissed the stone, then held the rock one last time, gave it a kiss, and placed it alongside the many others resting on the stone, the ones that have resisted the weather's force and time's entropy and held their vigil for so many years, each one a memory of a memory. I'll be back to see you soon, baby. You promise, Mommy? Nothing but death will keep me from your side, my sweet girl. Sleep tight. Sleep in peace, Bessie. See you soon, I think. She paused, thoughtfully. Then she said, One way or another, I love you. I love you, Mommy. I'll wait for you until you come. La, 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 la. La 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 Cinema Verite by Catherine Whitfield. We open in a dimly lit bedroom on the third story of an abandoned brownstone. Our heroine Cut. sit. Our fact checker has a problem with that. The wait list for real estate in this neighborhood is longer than a city block. There's no such thing as an abandoned brownstone. And anyway, I thought I told you to stop making changes to the script. Okay, okay, sorry. I was just trying to emphasize her isolation. Thought I'd add a little dramatic flair to the setting. Here's a thought. Dave will write, I'll direct, and you announce. I'd give you a list of everyone else and their jobs, but we're on a little thing I like to call a budget, and we don't have time. Spare me the embellishments and just announce. I've got an announcement for you. Action! We open in a dimly lit bedroom on the third story of a historic brownstone. Our heroine is situated on the bare hardwood floor, her back angled against the side of the bed, and her knees pressed to her chest. 
She is seated directly across from her closet. The closet doors are closed. There are Yahtzee score sheets scattered around her, and a brandy glass sits beside her on the floor. The other items in the room, a folded newspaper, five dice, a collection of Zimborska poetry, a pair of scissors, a floor lamp with a 60-watt bulb flickering beneath the dingy shade, a nightstand, and a bottle of pills are all within our heroine's reach. The room is otherwise undecorated and unfurnished and is, much like our heroine, largely nondescript. She, our heroine, is 24 years old. Dressed in faded blue jeans and a vintage sweatshirt, she has light brown hair, sweats profusely, and will be dead within ten pages. I can hear you, you know. Cut! Janice, sweetie, don't look at the announcer. He's not actually going to appear in the scene with you. Oh, right. Sorry. Action! I can hear you, you know. Cut! Don't look at the camera, either. Well, where should I look? Anywhere but those two places. Okay, dollface? Okay, got it. Thanks, Steve. Action! I can hear you, you know. Can you? You should be able to hear me. I'm telling you your story. You said I'd be dead in ten pages. That's right, you will. Work with me and I'll have you out in six. And anyway, why are you counting in terms of pages? The audience won't know how long a page is on screen. Pages, scenes, the important point is that you're dead at the end. But this is my story and I don't want to die. Wrong. This is your story. That's what I just said. This is my story. Yes, it is. And you seem to be operating under the erroneous conception that you write your own story. If you'd been paying attention earlier, you'd know that Dave writes your story, Steve directs it, and I announce. So what do I do? You just are, babe. You bring it to life. And to death. You got it. Can you tell me how I die? I'll do better than that. I'll give you a choice. Behind door number one, deus ex machina. Divine forces will intervene and cause the roof to cave in on you, or your lampshade to catch fire, or an errant bullet from a drive-by shooting to break through the window and find your temple. This room doesn't have a window. It would for that ending. I thought all bedrooms had windows, at least in the movies. Well, this one doesn't. Consider it a metaphor for your life. Or my death. Right, your death. And speaking of your death, behind door number two... Shit! Cut, Janice, what are you doing? You're jumping the gun on the spill glass cube. Sorry, Steve, that was an accident. I I can't see anything over here. This lamp does about as much good as a book of matches. Bring up the lights a few level on the bedroom set. I'll need that first line read again with the appropriate changes and get the short intern to bring Janice another glass. My name is Mike. Quiet, Dawson. We open in a moderately lit bedroom on the third story of a historic brownstone. Right. Now let's pick it up from Write Your Death and see if we can keep the disasters and rewrites to a minimum and get the rest of this in one take. We're already two days behind schedule, and we've got to finish shooting today. And action! Right, your death. And speaking of your death, behind door number two, you kill yourself. I kill myself? You kill yourself. The method is somewhat up to you. You've got pills, scissors, possibly a window, but essentially your first choice is between door number one, you get killed, and door number two, you kill yourself. But you're pointing to my two closet doors. They both lead to my closet. There aren't two separate choices at all. And there you have it. I'm confused. Confused? Well, why not end it all? It's only going to get worse. This doesn't seem right. Befuddled by her own impending doom, our heroine... Stop ironizing me. Come on now, that stings. You're not giving me much to work with. I'm serious. I'll work with you, but you can at least call me Janice. I might be doomed, but I should still have some say in all of this. Okay, Janice. Fair enough. What do you want? Well... Okay, for starters, I choose door number two. I'll kill myself, but I want it to be poetic. I can do poetic. Rather, you can do poetic. Remember the Yahtzee score sheets, the Zimborska collection, the dice? I've set you up for poetic. And I want you to tell my story. Not just this part of my story, but my backstory, too. I 
I demand some exposition. How much exposition? Birthday parties, pets, first dates, repressed memories from childhood squirreled out on some therapist's couch? We don't have that kind of time. Well, not that much exposition, then. Just, just enough to make me sympathetic and, and explain how I got here. Okay. I think that's reasonable. Let's see. Janice is 24 years old and has been married for two years. Her husband was killed two days ago in a car crash while driving home early from work to surprise her. She is five months pregnant with their first child, and she cannot bear the thought of raising the child without Tom. Her husband's name was Tom. Prior to her husband's death, she couldn't even comprehend feelings of such intense loneliness, and tonight she intends to commit suicide and be reunited with her lost love. Oh my. That's terribly sad. Is it true? I, I can't remember it. Anyway, it's terribly sad. It has to be, to get you here. I have one more request. I want to narrate the rest of this. You want to narrate? You're already deciding what takes place and how things happen. I can't let this get out of hand. Oh, please, let me narrate. It has to be poetic, and I'm afraid you won't tell it right. Just let me try. I'll give you a chance, but I'm listening carefully. Okay, here goes. I used to think there was no such thing as magic. I, I thought there were no quick fixes, no easy answers, nothing to keep me from breaking. As I've grown older, though, I've encountered more and more things that I can't explain, so, so I think there might be magic. Maybe magic is the reason that, regardless of this passage of time, I will never forget the taste of a perfect salty kiss or the feel of a snowflake dissolving into the creases of my face. And... And maybe magic is the reason I was always afraid of trying ecstasy. I I don't want to experience anything greater than the bliss I feel when a sweet breeze blows by me and I'm with a person I really care about. I don't want anything to belittle that experience. I don't want anything to take me away from those front porch bath powder evenings when my universe spanned from the foot of my hammock to the top of my lover's forehead. And everything in between belonged to me and to us and to everyone who had ever tasted happiness. I remember those things, and, and I feel them melting away like an ice cube pressed against the small of my back. A- and I reach out frantically, grasping at anything that will keep me grounded, de- desperately trying this to... This isn't working for me at all. It, it's not? Sorry, but no. Tasted happiness? Bath powder evenings? You don't even have a good handle on subject-verb agreement. I'll tell you what. Instead of trying to narrate your story, why don't you start doing poetic things, and I'll describe what you're doing. Then maybe you can interject some commentary after you get the hang of it. I guess that's fair. Just make me memorable. I'll do my best. And action. No, 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 cut! Who are you? I'm your god, babe. I'm the producer, and I'm pulling the plug on this project. What the hell are you talking about? Steve, what the hell is he talking about? I'm going to get some coffee. In case you haven't noticed, not only are we seriously over budget and days behind schedule, this film, Steve's so-called masterpiece, is all but guaranteed to be a flop. I seriously don't know what you're talking about. We haven't even finished shooting. The show isn't even done. Look, babe, this isn't personal. We've been cleaning up some of the dailies and running them past test audiences. People absolutely hate this flick. What's wrong with it? Well, for one thing, no one knows what the fuck is going on. They all think we're showing some sort of behind-the-scenes making of Cinema Verite documentary by mistake. When we tell them it's the real movie... It ain't pretty. And for another thing, no one knows what the hell to make of you two. Especially you, girly. People can't tell the difference between Janice the character and Janice the actress. No one knows exactly who you are. I'm just 
Janus. That's exactly the kind of shit I'm talking about. What does that even mean? No one is going to pay to listen to you wheedle about being just Janice when you and McGregor is banging Nicole Kidman for eight bucks at a theater down the street. Okay, that's just ridiculous. It's not our fault if people don't understand what's going on here. This is art. It's supposed to be beautiful and, and floating and abstract and mind-numbing. The studio is not going to fund mind-numbing. At least not artistically mind-numbing. I mean, Jesus, I can't even sit through this film and I'm producing it. How can we expect the audience to put up with it when there isn't even a point? Not even a point? The point, oh God, of the silver screen is that we don't control the construction of our own lives. We have little to no say in what happens to us, so when the opportunity arises to flex a little muscle in that respect, we might as well get creative. Maybe Janice is pregnant and just lost her husband, and maybe she's not. Who cares? I just made it up. I might be right, but the point is our lives are inventions of other people's perceptions. That little narrative of hers? Meaningless. Or rather, no more or less meaningful than anything you could dream up to say about her. It doesn't matter where you draw the line between Janice the actress and Janice the character because there is no difference. Our boundary lines have been hopelessly blurred, and the only thing that's clear is that we're born, we die, and a lot of shit happens to us in between. If any of it is spectacular, I mean really spectacular, maybe we get remembered. That's it. That's the point. Whatever. I'm pulling the plug. Sorry about all that, kiddo. Looks like you don't get to be memorable after all. Well, wait, can we... I mean, can we just keep going? With the script, you mean? Finish the show? Right, let's, let's finish, whatever this is. Are you sure about this? It doesn't end well for you. I'm sure. It's an ending, a definitive ending. That's well enough. Okay, then. Here goes nothing. Janice flips through the book of Zimborska poetry and sets it aside... She takes the bottle of pills off the nightstand and sets it next to her brandy glass. Should you say snifter? I'd say snifter if you weren't drinking ice water out of a brandy glass. <laughs> Touché. Janice takes the bottle of pills off the nightstand and sets it next to her brandy glass. She picks up the five dice and begins rolling. She rolls 17 times without getting a single Yahtzee. She reopens Zimborska. Janice is alternately rolling dice, reading poetry, and taking the pills. My new rule is one pill for every six I roll. There are 37 pills left in the bottle, which means that I could, in theory, roll the dice a minimum of eight times before I'm finished. Not bad. Thanks. Janice leaves a sweat ring on the floor with her brandy glass. She rolls the dice through the beads of moisture until they slide too far out of reach. I remember a poem. His hands were origami, folded perfectly, fluidly at every joint. Janice folds a Yahtzee score sheet into origami hands. She puts another one under her brandy glass. Wait, you're moving too fast. Then you still don't understand. Just relax and listen. Things take care of themselves with or without our help. Close your eyes, Janice. Let's try this again. Okay. Janice folds a Yahtzee score sheet into origami hands. She puts another one under her brandy glass. I've rolled twelve sixes. It's, it's taken me five tries. I can no longer finish the pills with the minimum number of rolls. There is a folded newspaper next to the brandy glass. News of a dead husband parades across in ten-point font. She has been rolling dice across the newsprint, and droplets of water have smudged the typeface. I have smudged the typeface. The word obituary is blurred and, and looks like ritual. Or barbiturate. I realized that the kicking stopped three rolls ago. She flips to another page in the poetry book, reads, And one fly buzzed. That is, was still alive. 
She hates to fly. More smudging. I pretend that Kubla Khan has abandoned his capacious paradise for a rent-controlled apartment with a pension plan and a view of the city. Kubla Khan? Last night I dreamt of Xanadu. There is a paper cut on her knuckle, index finger, left hand. I tear the offending score sheet into three pieces. Fourteen rolls, thirty-seven sixes. I've knocked over my brandy glass and the ice cubes are shrinking as the runoff seeps under my jeans. The cold water is shocking. I I try to stop the spill with Yahtzee score sheets. The poetry book has gotten wet. One of the pages tears as I try to air it out. There is a pair of scissors on the floor by the book. I've been making final cuts from certain pieces, taking out my favorite parts for journaling. It starts out as another paper cut. It starts out as another paper cut, but but soon I'm dragging the scissors across the bluest parts of my wrists. I'm spilling, and there are no more score sheets. Janice. Yes? You have to stop there. Why? You can't narrate your own death. I have to tell the rest. You should be pleased, though. You were good. I'm afraid of my ending. Even after all those pills? Were they real? Does it matter? I guess not. No, I guess it doesn't. Okay, I'm ready. Janice is spilling... Wait, if I can't tell you this when you're finished, this was really lovely. She is spilling, and there are no more score sheets. She traces her fingers through the pool and draws stick figures on the wall. Soon they come to life and start dancing with each other. She tries to write the end underneath them, but she is smearing, and she only manages the T-H. This? Cut. Print. That's a wrap, people. have been listening to the first episode of Chatterbox Audio Theater's Chatterbox Showcase. Baby Boy featured Alan Busby as Dad, Elisa Moran as Mom, Nicholas Taylor as the Boy, and Robert Arnold as the Doctor. Sound effects by Karen Strawn, written and directed by Julia Henson. The Flower Tender featured Aaron McGee as the narrator and Cheryl Wolder as the Old Woman. Sound effects by Robert Arnold. Written and directed by Cheryl Wolder. Cinema Verite featured Robert Arnold as the announcer, Aaron McGee as Janice, Alan Busby as the director, Andrew Sullivan as the producer, and Joe Vescovo as Mike. Written and directed by Catherine Whitfield. This episode of Chatterbox Showcase featured music by Jeremy Howard. It was produced by Andrew Sullivan. This is your announcer, Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit web-based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. Chatterbox. 
Have high medical costs got you down? Well, say goodbye to high medical bills. Introducing the Doctor in a Box Kit. Everything you need to diagnose and treat your medical problems all in one box. First, there's a diagnosis software for your computer. Just type in your symptoms and you get a diagnosis. Coughing and sneezing. You have a cold. Take two aspirin and get plenty of rest. There's even a setting for you hypochondriacs. Coughing and sneezing. You have the Ebola virus. Take two aspirin and get plenty of rest. And should you need an operation, the Doctor in a Box Kit includes everything you need to do it yourself. Take scalpel. Ah, and cut along. Ooh, dotted line. Ooh, ah, ah. You can operate on yourself and you can suit yourself. <laughs> the Doctor in a Box Kit. Only $5.99.99. Not sold in stores because of the AMA, DEA, FBI, CIA, and WHO. Save on doctor's bills now and impress your friends. Hey, you're looking better, Bob. Who did the amputation? Why, I did it myself. <laughs> Bob? Doctor in a Box. Bob? Now there is a doctor in the house. Oh, Bob. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. Have a good day.